I'm convinced, as I've always been convinced, that anything significant that we can do as individuals or as a church comes through prayer. I, I, I think, folks, I, I don't think we can get away with this. We need to pray. And we're in a season where I, I would say we really need to pray. And when we pray, when we seek him, when we ask, when we listen, God shows up in ways that are unexpected and that blow our minds. Um, and so coming up towards the end of May in this season, we're going to encourage 10 days of fasting and prayer as a whole church. It's inspired by what happened in the book of Acts. Jesus, just before he ascended to heaven, he urged his disciples to wait on God and pray until God's spirit came. And then 10 days they prayed. And what happened? Pentecost. The spirit was poured out on, on the believers and the church exploded with life. And we're, we're here as a result of that day, of, of those disciples waiting and praying and, and the church was born. This year, Pentecost Sunday falls on June 5th. And so in the 10 days leading up to that, we want to urge us to pray as a congregation, praying for God to move, praying for his spirit, praying for revival, praying for fresh faith for us, for our community, praying for lost people, uh, praying for his provision for this project. Um, as we seek God for this building project, praying is going to put him in the center of it all. So, Okay, so just want to encourage you, on top of that, on June 3rd, so just before Pentecost Sunday, we're going to gather together on the evening. Uh, it's a Friday night. While our youth are meeting, parents, you have no excuse because your, your kids are downstairs. You can come upstairs, and we're going to have a celebrative praying seeking God together. Uh, I think it's going to be a fun, fun night. So um, we'll have resources for you. We've got tools. We'll have guides on our website on how to fast, how you might approach fasting, um, some teaching on that, along with some guides, some daily guides of themes of what to pray for. Does that sound okay? All right. The time we have left, we're going to make time today. We're going to stretch. God's going to stretch time. We're going to just dive in real quickly into our people with a mission message. As we said in the last few weeks, Nehemiah has been led by God to tackle a huge problem, the broken walls of his city. And Nehemiah says yes to tackling this project. Last week, we, we heard about how everyone, like just the whole community, stepped up to take their part in the wall, in repairing the wall. And we explained how beautiful it is when a community of people does that, when they offer their gifts and, and time and they do God's work together and in doing so, broken walls are repaired. But now again in the Nehemiah story, there are enemies who are not happy about this building project. Listen to the reaction in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. I want you to notice that everywhere in Nehemiah's story, in this rebuilding project, enemies are always there in the background. You notice that? They're always there in Nehemiah's story. And seven times in Nehemiah, we, we find a formula. The work advances, you know, something good happens, and then comes this little phrase, when he heard, when they heard. 
Some member of the opposition hears and there's more trouble. Every single advance in the mission is met by opposition. Every time Nehemiah makes just a little bit of headway, there's more trouble. I, I, I don't know about you, but there's part of me that thinks that life ought to be easy. Especially if I do some good thing, some good thing for God, I ought to get credit for it. It ought to be easy. But life is a battle, isn't it? You know, and part of saying yes to God is to push through trouble. It's a call by him to, to push through, through difficulty. An author named Patterson wrote about this. He says, no soldier ever goes into battle and says, hey, they're shooting at me. Time out. I wasn't expecting this. No football player goes onto the game, into the game and says, wait a minute, they're trying to tackle me. Still, I think there's something in us that, that you know, expects life should be easy. But every time Nehemiah is met by opposition, he faces another problem. So it actually leads to a key characteristic of those who are repairers of walls, those who are difference makers in our world. And it's this characteristic called persistence. The simple truth is problem-embracing, difference-making people are going to need persistence. Probably about 80% of success in stepping out and accomplishing anything is just God-driven, spirit-empowered. I will put my hand to the plow, and, and as God helps me, I'll keep going, and I won't look back. Some of you are, are seeking to make a, a difference for God in some way, you know, there's, or there's something you're seeking to change through God's power. Maybe it's in your life, maybe it's a habit, maybe it's something in the world around you, maybe it's your marriage or, or your family, and, and you've, frankly, you've hit a wall, you've, you've come up against opposition. Of course you have. It's a fallen and broken world. It's a spiritual battle. We cannot overcome these battles on our own. Our job is to persist, to be faithful, to keep trusting, to not give up. For Nehemiah, part of how he persists is through prayer. Surprise, surprise, it's the very next verse. He prays, hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. You ever prayed that over an enemy, by the way? It's biblical. It's biblical to do that, by the way. Maybe the next part you may want to edit, but give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. <laughs> do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. And then he says, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Notice something, uh, you know, in that instance, he doesn't even reply to his enemies. He just prays. He just says, God, turn their insults back on them. Great, just great lessons on prayer here. And the work doesn't stop. Notice that? But the, throughout the book, four times, Nehemiah's opponents send letters, basically saying, stop what you're doing. We want to set up a meeting and talk to you, right? Let's talk about this, Nehemiah. They're trying to distract him. Four times, Nehemiah sends the same reply, basically. It's like a form letter that he sends out. Check it out. He says, I'm carrying on a great project and can't go, on, go, go down. Why should the work stop while I go down and talk to you? Just a sim simple answer. Nehemiah, actually, this is a lesson here, refuses to spend all kinds of time trying to appease opposition 
that will never be pleased. And after a while, they realize that they can't stop him. This is between Nehemiah and God. When they can't stop Nehemiah, they actually go after God's people. They say, what are these feeble Israelites doing? Can they bring stones back to life from these heaps of rubble? Talk about trash talk. And the people are are getting discouraged. And, And then we read, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we can't rebuild the wall. So again, picture is there's opposition outside and then there's opposition inside. There's, the morale is, is beginning to sag. People are saying, we can't do this. Folks, this always happens. It, it, you, you try to allow God to use you to make a difference and in, in your soul, uh, in your heart, in the, in the world, there will always be a voice to say, what you're doing to make a difference is silly. It's impossible or just not working. Go back to your normal life. Just give it up. Let it go. It's never hard to find a, a rationale for taking the path of least resistance. There will always be voices that will push you in that direction. That's what happened in Nehemiah. At one, one point there are rumors that their enemies are going to attack them. The text says the Israelites who, if you can imagine, lived in the surrounding region, they, they came to tell them ten times over, wherever you turn, your enemies are going to attack. So Nehemiah has to take action to address that rumor. Listen to what Nehemiah does. This is his action in 4.13. Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest parts of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. So Nehemiah wisely discerns what are the weak spots, what are the weak points in the wall. And, and, and check this out. He stations not there, not, not warriors, but families. You know, imagine like men or women, ordinary people that are just placed there, all stationed to stand guard against the enemy's attack. The scene reminds me of my favorite superhero moment in any superhero film, Spider-Man 2. Uh, the story, it's, it's, it's got to be, it's by far my favorite moment. Uh, Spider-Man is fighting Doc Ock, Dr. Octopus, and they're having this epic battle on a subway train. Uh, and and um, at some point, Doc Ock sabotages the train and, and causes the train to run out of control at high speed, and there's hundreds of people on board, and they're all going to die. And Spider-Man ma- manages to free himself from Doc Ock for a bit, and throws himself in front of the train and stretches out, webs himself to buildings on the side. And, and at the cost of almost his own life, slows down and stops the train. So much so that his body goes limp when he's done. You, you think he might be dead. It's an incredible Christ moment in film. And he slumps over and the people in that front car of the train come and they, they take Spider-Man's limp body and they carry it back into the train. And they're passing it along. Just uh, He's from person to person. And then quite suddenly, Doc Ock drops into the scene. And Doc Ock is furious and ready to take out and finish the job with Spider-Man. And then you get this scene. Next slide. You got these ordinary people who stand up in front of Spider-Man and in a sense, they say, over my dead body. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful scene. 
of ordinary people who, (laughs) regular people who are prepared to stand up against injustice, even when in that case it was against a much superior foe. In the text, Nehemiah tells the people why they can do that, why they can stand firm. Verse 14, he says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Remember the Lord. In other words, you can stand, you can persevere, you can fight. Why? Because God is great and awesome. If this was a black church in the South, you guys would be saying amen right now. Way to go. I'm disappointed that the actual black people in our congregation said nothing there. Um, no, no offense, guys, but could you hold up the team? Ben. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that gets posted on the internet and just goes wild, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Shut down the live stream right now. God is great and awesome, and he is great, greater. Enough already. (laughs) He is greater than any problem you're facing. Any trouble that you try to take on, God is greater than that. We have have such a great God, such an awesome God. We need not fear. Listen to what happened. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to their own work. From that day on, half did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. And then listen to this. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. Can you picture this? It's actually a great image of the Christian life. This is really what it looks like. As we step out to do the work that God calls us to, we expect opposition. And we're expected to stand firm and to work and fight. A sword in one hand and a shovel in the other. Interesting, when I was wrestling with were we going to actually do this Nehemiah series about six weeks ago, I was praying about it and I was going, God, I don't know if this is right, this is the way to go. And and, uh, one of our prayer leaders at a morning Zoom call said, Derwin, just want you to know, this morning I see a picture of you. And in one hand, you're holding a sword. In the other hand, you're holding a shovel. And I, and I got to tell you, friends, the only time that picture is in Scripture is in Nehemiah. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I think we're going to go Nehemiah. <laughs> I think so. It's a great picture. A sword in, in one hand, a pick or a shovel in the other. Now, our weapons as Christians are not actually swords or spears or guns, and none of that. Our, our weapons are primarily prayer and self-sacrificing love. That's what Scripture teaches us. We follow in the footsteps of Jesus here. That's why in our, our five-year vision as a church, i got to tell you folks, prayer, it, it's at the center of it. We, we don't want to pray less. We want to be fluent and become linguists in prayer. We want to learn how to connect with God in in real ways. We have visions for all kinds of other great things happening in this church, but prayer centers at the heart of it. Because we, we remember that we do this, whatever we do, whatever good thing we try to do as a church, we do with God. This again is the with God life. 
So we'll need to grow in prayer and through it learn to persist and stand firm. And then there's this fabulous chapter, Nehemiah 5, where the poor in Jerusalem are beginning to cry out. And what's unfolded in, in it is this rich and powerful, is, pardon me, the rich and powerful in Jerusalem had been using these extreme times, the difficulties they'd been going through to exploit the poor, you know, to, to get their land, to take their money. And Nehemiah has to go to the rich and powerful people, people he's depending on to, to build the wall, so he actually can't alienate them here. But this is just an amazing study in leadership. He has to go to them and call them to a grander vision. He says, you know, this isn't just about walls. This is about building the community of God. This means that those of us who have resources develop a heart for those who are poor. Nehemiah tells them how previous governors would tax the people and acquire their lands, but he as a governor hasn't done this. He'd fed the people out of his own pockets. Nehemiah has so much integrity in his life that when he challenges these leaders in this way, their response is, we'll give the money back and we'll not demand anything more from them. We'll do as you say. It's just an unbelievable story. They all uh, persevere until they lay the last brick. The wall's complete. They've done it. And at this point, I want you to think for a second. Take a guess. How long do you, take, how long do you think this project would, would take for Nehemiah and his people to rebuild the wall that surrounded the city of Jerusalem. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. 52 days. How many cases have you heard of a building project that was completed before the deadline and under budget? So good. This leads to the last characteristics of a difference maker. Joy. If you read through this book, the description of the people when they gather together, the dream is alive, the joy of that assembly. Ezra, we're told, read from the book of the law from daybreak till noon, and all the people listened attentively to the law. Six hours of preaching, and the people listened attentively for six hours. Isn't that fabulous? People wonder sometimes, what's the length of a sermon from a biblical point of view? Six hours. But it says they listen to the law attentively. When, when we hear the word law, we tend to have negative connotations. Not these people. For them, what the law said was that their God was gracious. It was about the covenant. It was about how God, for no reason at all, said, I'm going to call a people to myself. And through them, I am going to bless the whole world. It's such a powerful and beautiful thing that when they hear it, they realize how far, fall, how far they've fallen from it, they weep. A little like Nehemiah wept. And they're, they're broken. Their hearts are broken as they look at the walls, broken in their own lives. Then what Nehemiah is fantastic. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Isn't that a great command? And send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. A fabulous command. There is a time for weeping, and the people would weep and, and confess their sins before the story is finished. But Nehemiah says, and this is just great news for, for you and, and for me, the bottom line is not our brokenness. <laughs> the bottom line is the gospel that God is our God and he loves us even though we've fallen so short. He's a gracious God. So do things that bring joy. 
and give some to people who have none. Because this is about God's community. It's, it's not about the sorrow of the Lord or the judgment of the Lord. It's the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's what makes us want to come back to him over and over again. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, like Nehemiah, I sense you have been calling us as individuals and you've been calling us as a church to make a difference in the world. We long to step out of our comfort zones and uh, we want to matter, we want to make a difference. Uh, We're audacious to think that you could change the world through us, through this church, to help bring about the kind of change that would honor and glorify you ultimately. Lord, I know that there are already some who have stepped out, but it's been hard, and the temptation might be to quit. Father, would you graciously and lavishly pour out on them your strength by your Spirit, God. Give them your stubborn persistence. Lord, we know we can't do this on our own, and so teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to fight. Teach us to stand firm. And may all of us experience the joy of knowing that it is not our brokenness that will define us. Give us joy as we celebrate our God who loves the world and has a plan in Christ for redeeming it. We thank you that you love us and redeem us as well. Would you do that, we pray. Would you do all of this for your glory and for the sake of your name. We pray these things together in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We're going to, I'm going to benedict you and send you off. We've got a newcomer's meet and greet that's happening right over that way, the West Hall. We won't keep you long, um, but for the rest of you, I'd encourage you to stand if you're able, and uh, let me give you just this blessing from Nehemiah. These are Nehemiah's words. Dear friends. Don't be afraid of those who oppose you. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight. Fight for your families, fight for your church, fight for your city, and fight for the the world, and all this for the glory of God. Amen. God bless you. Uh, If you'd like to receive prayer today, we always, prayer team would love to pray with you. Come on up to the front. We'll pray. God bless you as you go.